You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. The Sunset Series, which is a program of Tribe Tel Aviv. And I'd like to thank Shana Fold, our host for tonight. We have a special guest tonight. I'd like to welcome Josh Reinstein. Josh has been the director of the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus since 2004 and is also president of the Israel Allies Foundation. He is a producer and founder of the hit TV show Israel Now News, and he also owns and operates JSR International Marketing, an international marketing and investment firm based in Israel. He's the author of a soon-to-be-released book, Titus, Trump, and the Triumph of Israel, the power of faith-based in Jerusalem with his family in Nevatseret. Uh, he is a graduate of the University of Western Ontario, where he earned a degree in political science. He served as a tank gunner in the elite 188 unit of the Israel Defense Forces Armored Corps. And um, he lives, as I mentioned, Jerusalem with his wife, Rebecca, and their four children. And he is named one of the 50 most influential Jews by the Jerusalem Post. So great to have you here, Josh. Thanks for joining us. And as I mentioned before, feel free to post your questions and then we'll field them at the end. Thank you, Rabbi, for that warm introduction. Um, It's great to be on the show. I've been a a really dear friend of Jay Schultz for many years and he's been talking about this for a while. And so it's great to finally experience it. And thank you to uh, international superstar Shauna Fold for that uh, warm introduction as well. I'm a huge fan of your work on Israel Now News. Tune into Israel Now News for future uh, episodes. Thank you. Uh, it's been probably 15 years since I've gone out and partied in Tel Aviv. Um, so I'm happy that I was invited to, to do it at least virtually. Uh, although I am saddened to hear how bad the pickup lines have become. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible. Whoever did that, it was a terrible line. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to be here, and I want to tell a little about uh, my book, uh, Titus Trump and the Triumph of Israel. But first, let me tell you a little bit about um, the work that I've done. In 2004, I established something in the Parliament of Israel, the Knesset, uh, the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus. And the idea was that Jews and Christians need to stand together and, and defend not just our Judeo-Christian heritage, but the state of Israel. So there were a lot of people who didn't like the idea. So the right didn't like the idea because they thought it made them seem too right-wing working with Bible-believing Christians. And the left didn't like the idea because they thought Bible-believing Christians were too right-wing. The religious didn't like the idea so much because they thought all Christians were just missionaries. And the secular really hated the idea because they wanted a separation of you know, religion and states. So there was a lot of different people saying, why do we want to do this even? And, and what I did was I tried to find a way that everyone would be happy and the idea was to take from the American system the idea of establishing a caucus. And a caucus is actually an American idea. We have many in Israel today. But in 2004, this was the first caucus in our parliament. And the idea was that only members of parliament can be a member of this. So you have to be a member of the Knesset to be a member of the Knesset Krishnalis Caucus. No one from the outside could come and lobby the Knesset members on issues. It was from the Knesset outward. And that seemed to get people excited about it. But the idea why we did this and why there was such a need actually came about in the Second Intifada. And in the Second Intifada, we saw that one by one, the nations of the world were were turned against us. 
But Christians stood with us. In fact, it was Christians, not countries, that stood with Israel during that time. Uh, even if you, uh, if you remember, if you were here during the Second Bufada, the only tourists we had were Christians. People were scared to come. There were bus bombings. And we started asking ourselves, why? You know, why are Christians standing with Israel when no one else will? And we realized that if you have an economic agenda, you're not necessarily going to stand with Israel. We don't have the oil wealth of the neighbors around us. And if you have a political agenda, again, you're not going to stand with Israel. We have one vote in the UN compared to many more uh, Arab votes and, of course, even more Muslim votes. Uh, only people who put values and beliefs ahead of economic and political concerns will stand with the state of Israel when we need that support. And that leaves, of course, Jews, but also Christians who believe in the Bible. And when we realized that, we realized that we had a, an opportunity, and not just an opportunity, but, but an obligation to the citizens of Israel to create a framework whereby Jews and Christians could work together to mobilize support for Israel. And the idea that we came up with is something that we call today, and it's become a very popular phrase, faith-based diplomacy. Our idea is, okay, you support Israel biblically. Why not take that biblical support and turn it into real political action? And what we did was we started with monthly meetings on issues in the Knesset. We brought in people who were senators and Christian leaders and even rabbis to discuss the new relationship between Jews and Christians in the 21st century. But in 2006, we got our first big break during the Second Lebanese War when the Congress, the House of Representatives, decided to do something to stand with Israel. And what they did was they, they launched our first sister caucus, which is called the Congressional Israel Allies Caucus. Uh, it was the first sister caucus to the Knesset Krishnaz Caucus. It was run by Elliot Engel, a Jewish Democrat, and Dave Weldon, a Christian Republican. And today, still today, it's the only bipartisan pro-Israel caucus within the House of Representatives. But that establishment of the Congressional Israel Allies Caucus started a domino effect of caucuses being started all over the world. Uh, so after America, they started a caucus in the Canadian Parliament, and then in the EU, and then in the Philippines. And today, we actually have 43 Israel allies caucuses all over the world. This is about 1,000 members of parliament who take their biblical support for Israel and turn it into real political action. Uh, I'm the president of the Israel Allies Foundation, and the foundation's job is to coordinate the activities of all these sister caucuses around the world. And I can tell you that today, faith-based diplomacy is the most important weapon that Israel has in its diplomatic arsenal. In fact, if you look at the last few years, at the tremendous success that we've had internationally, all of them, I would say, maybe I'm missing some, but all of the new ones, at least, have come because of faith-based diplomacy. Um, I guess the most famous example of faith-based diplomacy was that America finally moved their embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. So a lot of people at the event, I was at the event with my wife to commemorate it at the embassy move in Jerusalem. And a lot of people there looked around and they saw there were 800 people there and 700 of them were Christian leaders. And they were like, where's all the Jews? You know, there were only a hundred Jews there. Two of them were me and my wife, another two was the prime minister and his wife. So there's only about 96 other Jewish people in the whole room, including the ambassador, David Friedman. And, and people started asking, you know, why is this a Christian issue at all? And, and that's why I wrote the book, Titus Trump and the Triumph of Israel. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to explain 
how that became a Christian issue and how did so many others become a Christian issue as well to people who don't understand this new relationship, but also give a roadmap for Bible-believing Christians to understand what they need to do and how they can get involved with standing with Israel as well. Now, another great example of faith-based diplomacy that we see is the anti-BDS legislation. So just to go back five years, financial BDS was one of the scariest things that Israel had to face. Today, no one even cares about it because we defeated it. But at five years ago, there was the threat of a nuclear Iran, which was our number one threat, and there was financial BDS. Why was financial BDS so scary? Well, the strength of Israel is our economy. In fact, you know, the fact that we can sell things and build things and we're innovative is why we're so strong and powerful. 25% of all our exports every year are ideas. There are people who come up with these ideas, technologies and innovation, and they sell them. And so the ability to sell things abroad is imperative to the success of the state of Israel. Well, the BDS movement came around and said, well, we're not going to do business with Israel. We need to cut off Israel from the nations. We need to stop even wire transfers to Israel. And that was a huge problem. And then came a representative in America named Alan Clemens, Christian from South Carolina. And he said, this is just pure racism. So we worked with him to develop this legislation that said, if you're going to be racist, if you're going to be against the state of Israel, if you're going to just point out Israel, then this state, South Carolina, can no longer do business with you. And what happened was it became a church movement. And churches got excited about this. And in Florida, they passed it. And then in Texas, they passed it. And then Ohio, they passed it. Today, 32 states have passed it. Over $4 trillion is off the table if you want to be involved in BDS movement financially. If you say, okay, I'm not going to do business with Israel, then you can't do business with New York. You can't do business with California. All right, so we, we defeated one of our biggest problems, our biggest security threats, financial BDS, because of this support. Another example is the support we're seeing out of Africa. You know, our prime minister has been to Africa twice in the last two years. Before that, no prime minister has been to Africa in the last 50 years. The reason is, is we created a of Christian countries. There are Christian countries that are standing with Israel and Africa, and they're getting closer to us. They're working with us. We also see it in Europe. There's a block of Eastern European countries that are standing with Israel and supporting us. So faith-based diplomacy is a global movement. It's all over the world, and it's spread because of people of faith who take their biblical support and turn into real political action. And that's what I coordinate for the state of Israel through the Knesset Christian Alliance Caucus. But really, I coordinate it all over the world. Um, we mentioned Israel Now News. Israel Now News is a news show once a week where I try to get what's important to focus on out to the Christian community. In fact, we have millions of viewers uh, on Christian stations for the show because they're hungry to find out what's going on. But this is something that's really incredible, but it's also prophetic. And I think that's something that Jews need to understand as well. See, we're seeing the fulfillment of biblical prophecy in Israel. We see that there's an ingathering of the exiles that were coming back from the north and the south and the east and the west on the wings of eagles or airplanes as we call them today. And Jews recognize that as God fulfilling his promise. You know, it's the Abrahamic covenant. But we have to understand that Christians see that as well. And part of that prophecy is that Christians are going to help us and stand with us. So today we're not alone. That's a major point. So, but what does that really mean? That also means that we have a responsibility to help Christians as well. Unfortunately, in the Middle East and Africa 
and Asia, it's not Jews who are being attacked like always. It's actually Christians who are the victims of genocide and so many of these different horrible atrocities that we're seeing. So I think we need to speak up for them too. But this new alliance that we're seeing is really something that I believe has been foretold by the Bible, the Torah, the Tanakh, and something that is growing every day. But at the same time, we have to understand, whereas Jews and Christians are coming together around the world, there are also people who are standing against Israel, mostly people who stand against the God of Israel and the Tanakh. So we have to understand that Jews and Christians are coming together around the world because of the Bible, but there are also people who are coming against Israel because of the Bible. And a lot of people don't understand that as well. So let's take an example. We look at university campuses in America. Well, university campuses are supposed to be bastions of freedom. They're supposed to be for human rights. They're supposed to be for universal freedoms. So how could it be that on universal campuses, we see such an incredible movement against the state of Israel? The only free democracy in the Middle East. Israel's the only place in the Middle East where men and women are equal. Not only can women in Israel show their face in public, which isn't the case in the countries around us, and drive a car and be educated, but they can be the prime minister of Israel, like we saw with Golda Meir, or the speaker of the Knesset, like Dalia Itzik, or the head of the Supreme Court, like the current uh, head, Esther Hyatt. Men and women fight side by side in the military. So you would think, practically, that on university campus, they should want to support the only place where there's equality between men and women. We're the only place in the whole Middle East that has freedom of religion. Not only can you bring a Bible into Israel or a Quran or, you know, a Tanakh, but people will be very happy that you did. If you brought a Bible into Saudi Arabia or Iran, you'd be arrested at the airport. You could be hung. There's a stiffer, stiffer penalty for bringing a Bible into Saudi Arabia than a kilo of heroin into Israel. So why on these university campuses are, are these places, these bastions for freedoms and rights, why are they against the only place that has freedom and democracy in the Middle East? And if you look at it from a practical point of view, it doesn't make sense. But if you look at it from a biblical point of view, it makes perfect sense because you can't teach your children that there's no such thing as God and the Bible is a lie as long as it's being fulfilled in Israel. So they try to demonize Israel. They say, oh, Israel's a terrible place. There's terrible things going on there. Don't go there. They say Israel's dangerous. You know, people think that Israel, there's war going on in the streets of Jerusalem, when it, statistically, Jerusalem is the safest capital in the Middle East. But also, you see this alliance between extreme atheist, radical liberals on university campuses and radical Islam. Do you know that there is nothing in common between radical and Islam and radical liberalism, except for their hatred of Israel? That's the only thing they have in common. They're, they disagree on everything else, on rights, on values, on, on you know, liberal doctrine. It's all different, except for their hatred of Israel. And also, it doesn't make sense, why would Muslim countries be against Israel? 20% of our population is Muslim. They have the same right as all Israelis. They have, they have the same health care, the same free education. They have a higher GDP than in all the countries around us. So why would Muslim countries emulate Israel? Why would they say, hey, how come I can't vote for whoever I want? Again, practically, it doesn't make sense. But also with them, they have a problem too. Because if the Bible is being fulfilled in the land of Israel, they feel that that's a threat to their way of life. And, and we see time and time again that this clash that we're seeing between those who stand with Israel and those who are against Israel is really based on a source 
And that source is the Tanakh. And so when we understood that this is a religious conflict in, in many ways, we understood that we need biblical solutions. And that's why faith-based diplomacy has become so effective. In the last three years, and you may like Donald Trump, you may not like Donald Trump, that's your own perspective. But in the last three years, Donald Trump has done nine of the 10 biggest things that America could ever have done for Israel. Anyone who would have done one of them, it would have been a huge international story. He did nine of them. And so what we're seeing is this incredible support. We've never had a stronger relationship with America. In fact, I would say that Donald Trump is the most pro-Israel president in the history of America. And there are a lot of people in that category of incredible pro-Israel friends of presidents. But the question is why? Why is he so pro-Israel? It's not because he just loves Israel. It's because his base, Bible-believing Christians love Israel. And he, they said that they want him to do these things. And he listens to his base. And in fact, when he makes a deal with his base, he always keeps it. So you can actually track the things he's done based on the Bible-believing Christian community. Now, there's a lot of questions of how faith-based diplomacy works. And that's why I wrote the book, Titus Trump and the Triumph of Israel, um, I hope that people go on Amazon.com and they order a copy because if you're Jewish and you're trying to understand why are some Christians standing with Israel and some aren't, it answers those questions. And if you're Christian and you're trying to understand, okay, what is my role to play in this? You know, I don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing. It answers those questions as well. But it also lays out a roadmap. What is the future of this relationship and what should both sides be doing to cultivate it? And I think we're seeing incredible things happen today. Uh, we just saw the, this peace deal signed with the United Arab Emirates. And this is because of the policies that have been put in place, radical policies, complete departure of the State Department in the last 50 years, 60 years to Israel, because, because they put these in place. Now even Muslim countries are understanding that it's better to make peace with Israel and be with Israel than, than be out there without a strong superpower that's for freedom and rights and democracy in the Middle East. So these things have incredible implications down the road. And what I'm trying to do is trying to get out the information from the last 16 years of being involved in this to show why this all happened, how did this all happen, and how everyone can get involved. But also I try to make the case for people who are kind of on the fence and don't know if they should be standing with Israel. So I don't just look at it from a biblical point of view, I go through the legal context, the historic context, the, the uh, archaeological context as well to try to show from all sides um, Israel is really a place that is to be admired and to be emulated, not to be uh, berated and uh, attacked. So that's really what I do. And that's, what, that's, what was, that's why I wrote this book, Titus Trump and the Triumph of Israel. But I don't want to just keep on talking forever, which I can, by the way, if you want. Uh, but I don't want to. I want to open up the questions and, All right. and hear from you as well. Okay, Josh, that was extremely succinct and um, excellent. Thank you so much for explaining it so eloquently and directly in only a way that a news producer can. So thanks for that. I'm going to scroll up a bit in our chat and just remind everyone to take the next couple of moments to write out into the chat what your question is. And I will do my best to get to answer it. Josh has been very concise. So I think we'll be able to get to everybody's question. 
we're going to start with Rabbi Feldman. Um, I want to start with Rabbi Feldman's question. I want to give everybody a, a moment to think about what they would like to ask. Josh, what is the extent Trump Christian Israel ally next? What is the what is the extent to the Trump Christian Israel ally nexus? What is the primary source of his support of Israel? Does it come from his son-in-law? and daughter or is it his evangelical support does mike pence play a role in this such in in this uh extreme display of confidence well uh, it's a really good question um obviously he has an interest in standing with israel and the jewish people because his child is is jewish his grandchildren are jewish um he's very pro-jewish in, in what he does despite what you see on the media because he really cares about that. He's worried about anti-Semitism. But I think that his support of Israel is primarily um, because of people like Mike Pence and Mike Pompeo, Bible-believing Christians, and the base of the Republican Party. You have to understand that you can't get elected to Congress or the presidency if you're not pro-Israel in the Republican Party, because that is one of their official tenets. The, the base of the party are Bible-believing Christians that stand with Israel. So if you don't stand with Israel, you don't have a shot. Donald Trump coming from the outside, you know, growing up was always a Democrat. He was one of the few people who supported Jimmy Carter over Ronald Reagan. And he, he gave a donation to Jimmy Carter. So he was coming as an outsider, and he realized that it's very important to his base that he do, does stand with Israel, and that's something that he wants to do as well. So what he did was he enacted the most pro-Israel platform in the history of the Republican Party. In fact, today, the Republican platform Israel is more pro-Israel than the Likud platform. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It says things like, uh, you, can't be, you can't be an occupier as a Jew in Judea because Jews can't occupy Judea. That's where Jews come from. That's in the Republican platform. I mean, I miss, I'm paraphrasing, but that's pretty much in there. So um, this nexus is really driven by the fact that the base of his party want to see this relationship thrive. They want to see peace in the Middle East. And they care about places like Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, because those are the places from the Bible that they grow up learning about, praying for. So, so this is a very deep relationship. And I believe that you're going to see an incredible amount of support coming from Christians in November for Donald Trump because precisely what he's done in Israel. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for that. So Moving on to a question that I think many of us have in our minds. What do Christians think will happen to the Jews in Israel if the prophecy is fulfilled? Is Israel in their minds benefiting short term, but then Jews are going to go to hell in the long term? So I really think the answer to that is irrelevant. I'm sorry to say that, but, you know, I don't know if you understand what Jews believe is going to happen when the Messiah comes. Um, it's not so good for other people who aren't Jews. Okay, we, we, and also, we're right. So it's going to go our way, I think. Uh, I think Ruby Rivlin, the president of Israel, said it best. He said, look, let's work together on everything we agree until the Messiah comes. And then when the Messiah comes, we'll see who's right. And, and the key is that Christianity and Judaism, they aren't the same religion. They're very different. But we have the same core. And so it's important to focus on the things that we agree on and work on those things. Now, there are Christians who believe in, in a crazy apocalypse at the end. There are other Christians who have different views. The truth is, I've never read the New Testament. 
I don't really know much about what they believe, and it's irrelevant to me. Because really, they do believe in the God of Israel, and they believe in what they call the Old Testament, what I know as, as the Tanakh. And because of that, we have a strong foundation to work on together. Okay. Uh, we'll work, we'll uh, cross that bridge when we get there, yeah? Absolutely. What, this, this question is coming from Emmanuel. What do you say about the UN blacklisting companies in the West Bank, such as Rami Levy? I saw that Palestinians make triple the pay they would make in other Palestinian supermarkets, yet the UN still makes ridiculous decisions. Why didn't all these caucuses help us with that, along with other UN decisions that usually go against us? That's also a really good question, and that's really why we exist. Um, in international forums, we're always at a disadvantage. Okay, so the, the problem is that the most amount of countries are actually run by tyrants and dictators. Uh, they're people that, that have different uh, affinities and, and, and beliefs. So in international forums, we're always going to lose. There's 22 Arab votes. There's many more Muslim votes. And there's one Israel. And there's one America. Where we have an advantage is within individual countries. So what we focus on is not the international organizations like the UN and the Court of Justice and the IMF. We focus on Poland and Germany and Hungary and Australia and Uganda and Brazil, because we have within those parliaments, Israel allies caucuses made up of members of parliament. There are no Palestinian allies caucuses. So individual countries, we can get incredible things done through legislation, resolutions, hearings. Whereas in the international community, we have to rely on the American veto because we're always at a disadvantage. They have an incredible anti-Semitic double standard against the state of Israel. And they don't care that they, they are persecuting Arabs on the way. They don't care. It, it doesn't, doesn't even factor into their decision. You know, Rami Levy is a great example. He has 3,000 Arab employees and 3,000 Jewish employees. He has Arabs in management. He has Jews in management. You can walk into Erdni Rami Levy and see Jews shopping there, Arabs shopping there, and Jews working there, and Arabs working there. It's the proof that we're not an apartheid state. Yet that's exactly what they're targeting because they want to wipe Israel off the map. That's their agenda. So in international forums, we're never going to win. But in individual countries, we can, and we have been winning. Great. Great. Something to look forward to. Um, Olivia Passoni wants to know, how can Christian Europeans help raise awareness about Israel in other countries? Well, uh, European, European Christians are under attack uh, really radically today. It's very hard to be Christian in Europe, which is actually a crazy thing to say. Um, Christianity is seen as, you know, the old way of thinking. So what we're seeing is that the support we're getting is not from traditional places like the Western Europe. It's actually from places like Eastern Europe. So our biggest support is from Hungary and Czechoslovakia and Romania and Estonia and Latvia and, and, and Lithuania. And the reason is because they, they saw what this world looks like when there's no freedom and justice. They lived under Soviet times. So Christianity is actually growing there and support for Israel is growing with it, whereas Christianity and their support for Israel is going down in Western Europe. Um, I think that there's a big problem in Europe today, not just with how they treat Christians, but with the rise of anti-Semitism, which is why you get a situation where the EU has a harsher opinion of Israel than the, a the AUE, the, the, uh, the UAE, the United Arab Emirates. Uh, and so it, it, it's, it's the trends are going in that direction, unfortunately. Okay. Um, 
With the current political atmosphere in America around this election season, how are these caucuses in America working with such a huge gap between the Republicans and the Democrats? Also, Spencer says that he only sees your book on Amazon as pre-sale, and he wants to know when it's going to go live. Okay, so two parts. Uh, first of all, bipartisanship is very important. Uh, our caucus, as I mentioned in the House of Representatives, is bipartisan. We have uh, three Democrat chairmen. We have three Republicans. There's about 70 members, uh, 28 Democrats, and, and 52 Republicans, something like that, or it's 42 problems. Maybe my math's off. But the, the bipartisanship aspect is very important. But unlike other organizations, we focus on an agenda. Okay, so if you are with us on the agenda, then we're excited about it. But if you're not, it doesn't matter what party you're from. Our agenda is unabashedly pro-Israel. We're against the threat of Iran. We're for Jerusalem as the undivided capital. And we're also against the anti-Semitic BDS movement. Those are the three core issues that we, we work on in America. Unfortunately, more and more of the Democratic Party is starting to leave that side of the political map. They're starting to join a progressive movement that supports the BDS movement, that supports an Iran deal, allowing them to get nuclear weapons, and that, that says that we need to divide our capital, Jerusalem. So as that trend occurs, we'll have less and less influence in the Democratic Party. To today, though, I have to say there are still very committed Democrats who stand with Israel. Really what's happened in, in America, and it's, it's scary, is that we've always had a stacked deck. Okay? So we always had the Republicans because of the Christians, and we always had the Jews and the Democrats because of the Jews. But what happened with Obama is that he proved that he can be against Israel and still get Jewish support. So some people in the progressive movement said, okay, how far can we go against Israel and still get Jewish support? And unfortunately, the answer is there is no limit. They can go all the way to anti-Semitism, to the, to the point now that we're seeing with Elon Omar, where she's like, it's all about the Benjamins, and still Nancy Pelosi's giving her $14,000 and supporting her. So this trend is very worrying, but it can be stopped if the Jewish community says we're not going to support candidates that are against Israel or support BDS. And so I think that Jewish America needs to wake up to this point. And, and I see some signs that they are, that they are starting to understand that, you know, if they want to be Democrats and they want to support the Democratic Party, they need to have candidates that support their values as well. Um, it's true. The book is only out on the 1st of September. You can pre-order it on Amazon. I hope all of you goes and pre-order this now. It'll help me with my metrics on Amazon. But if you can't wait till September 1st, uh, you can go to Geffen Publishing, our publisher. They have a website, uh, geffenpublishing.com, and you can buy it now, and they'll send you. In Israel, you can get it right away. But outside of Israel, you got to wait till September 1st. Wow, how unusual. Usually, it's the other way around. You get, when you're in Israel, you have to wait, and when you're in the U.S., you can get it right away. So um, that's sure that we, we got compensated for all those other injustices. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, there have been deeply anti-Semitic undercurrents in Christianity for 2,000 years. What's changed? Okay, so it hasn't really changed. There is still a lot of anti-Semitic undercurrents in Christianity. It's that the balance of power in Christianity has changed. So uh, what they call mainline Christianity, which is Catholicism, Greek Orthodox, Anglican, Presbyterian, um, Russian, they believe in a theology called replacement theology. So what they believe is that uh, there was a covenant between God and Israel, and Israel blew it, and God canceled that covenant. And now there's a new covenant with the church, and that's the only covenant today. 
that's what led to so much anti-Semitism. And until recently, they were 99% of Christianity that believed that. Now, there was always a remnant called Bible-believing Christians or evangelicals or Baptists, depending on what uh, area you want to talk about, that said, no, they believed in something called covenant theology. And they said that the covenant between God and Abraham is an everlasting covenant, and God will never cancel his covenant. But now, as Christians, we're grafted into that covenant. In 1948, there were only about 6 million evangelical Christians. They're a very small movement. But when God fulfilled his prophecy in Israel and proved that their covenant between God and Abraham is forever, more and more Christians from the other side started becoming Bible-believing. Today, there are 600 million evangelical Christians. So it's the fastest-growing religion in the world. And that's why today you're seeing this stream of support, yet you still see the, still, the traditional anti-Semitism as well. There are, there are churches, whole churches, that are divesting from Israel. They won't invest in Israel, not Syria, where two and a half hours drive from here, if you're Christian, you'll be beheaded for being Christian, from Israel, where you can operate with impunity and have churches and property rights and clergy visas and travel around the country. That's the place that they're divesting from. So there still is a, a large portion of what we as Jews um, consider Christianity. But I try to go into the book and explain the differences in Christianity and why, and this is one of the first questions I always get, why are some so anti-Israel and some so for Israel? Okay. Um, are evangelicals willing to give up their goal of proselytizing in order to have a mutual, respectful relationship? Without this huge issue being addressed in some way, Jews cannot trust a relationship formed with an agenda or ulterior motives. And the interesting thing about this question is that you would know out of everyone, especially because of your relationship to God TV and uh, their trouble here in Israel. So I think maybe it would be interesting for you to uh, get into the weeds there a little bit as well. That, that's coming from me. Yeah, look, uh, there's no doubt that there are a lot of organizations that's agenda is to missionize Israel. Um, it's a very dangerous movement. It's, it's something, proselytization is illegal in Israel, especially for pay and to people under the age of 18. Uh, we need to shun it and, and we need to not work with those organizations. Uh, but there are many organizations that understand that this new relationship is based on mutual respect and support for one another. And I think for us, that's very important for, for Jews who say, look, you know, you want to work with me and I believe what you're doing is important. Uh, so let's work together. It's not like we have millions of friends and we get to pick and choose. I think that the Christians who genuinely want to stand with Israel, these are our dearest friends and allies, and we need to make an effort to work towards with them. Now, there's a big difference between going out and proselytizing and passing out Bibles and missionizing and Christians who believe in their, their religion and they talk about it. And I think that we need to also distinguish between that as well. Uh, you know, I've been accused from both sides. Some people say that I'm very harsh on missionaries. There was an article that said I'm a, you know, an anti-missionary zealot because I don't work with missionary organizations. Some say all Christians are missionaries and you can't work with them at all. And, and because I work with Christianaries, I open the gates to working with, uh, I work with Christians, I open the gates to working with missionaries. I think you need to, uh, to make a fine distinction between those who are trying to do good and those who are trying to do bad. I don't think we should be working with people who want to kill us spiritually to fight those who want to kill us physically. At the same time, I think people who understand that this is what God wants them to do, 
it would be a sin as a Jew not to take advantage of the fact that God talked about a time when the nations will come up to Jerusalem and we're living in that time today and we need to take that opportunity and work as well. Wow. Uh, very, very tough spiritual killing or physical killing. Um, that's very real. Uh, question here. What is the evangelical attitude toward Palestinian Muslims Regardless of, of political dynamics over the last century, do you see them as people with equal political rights and equal rights to sovereignty in the area as Jews? Well, those are two different questions. Is it my opinion or what is the Christian's opinion about this? Because... I was wondering that myself. Abichai, if you could uh, clarify part two of your question in the chat, that would be great. He said both. Why don't you tackle uh, part one? What is the evangelical attitude toward Palestinian Muslims? And start there. Look, I think generally the evangelical attitude is love thy neighbor. Uh, that's basically one of their big tenets, and they believe that everyone has rights and needs to live with freedom. I think that they understand because they believe in the Bible that this is our land. Um, it's, there's no people that has a greater claim to a land in the world than the Jewish people to the land of Israel. And because of that, they understand that God has given us this land as being custodians over it. So they favor our sovereignty over the land, but not at a, at a price that we can persecute anyone. I don't think they would be in support of any persecution, uh, any occupation, uh, any uh, attacks on people. I think they're very sensitive even to the fact that everyone should be respected and treated equally under the law. Um, and my point of view is that Israel is, even to a fault, the most humane uh, country when it comes to, to those issues. Um, we give incredibly equal rights to a fault I, at some times uh, to not just Jews and Christians, but Muslim citizens as well. As I mentioned in, in the talk, 20% of our population is Muslim, and they are treated with the exact same rights as everyone else. Free medical care, free education. The, not only that, but they have representatives in the Knesset that can come to the plenium and even call for destruction of the state of Israel, which would be illegal in every other democracy in the world, by the way. But here it's not because it's freedom of speech. So I think that um, the way we treat the, the, the Muslim community is, is incredibly um, respectful, but also the way we treat the Palestinian community is incredibly respectful. I don't think there's any other country in the world that would help our enemies as we have that protect their citizens at the risk of their own soldiers. Uh, I think that we've done an incredible job at being a light onto the nations when it comes to being humanitarian. And as a former soldier, I can tell you that to sometimes, I think we go overboard. Um, when I was in the military, I wasn't allowed to shoot until I was shot at. That's dangerous. But they were so clear that you couldn't do that because they didn't want any accidents to happen. So. I think that when it comes to those type of issues, I, there's a lot of spin out there, but Israel is an incredibly humanitarian society and treats everyone with mutual respect and dignity, unlike any place I've ever been. Wow. Okay. Moving on to a thought-provoking question from Michael Friedman. How do Bible-believing conservative American Christians square their support for Israel with Israel's support of gay rights, abortion, and other items like like that well i believe that their support of israel has nothing to do with what our political views are i mean uh for example how do they support the moving of the embassy to jerusalem when many jewish organizations were against it 
I don't think they really care uh, what the Jewish community thinks on that. They have their support is based on what they believe is right from the Bible. So they support the state of Israel, regardless of what we believe or what we feel. They support it because they think that that's what God wants them to do. It's for them a biblical issue. And so they support us no matter what we do or what we stand with. I think it's the Jewish side that have trouble accepting their support because the Christians aren't for a lot of the values that, that more modern, more modern, secular Jews like. And I think that's a real, uh, a real, a real problem. You know, if you look at my, my caucus in the Knesset, okay, we have 19 members from left to right religious secular. We have people that are very supportive of the two-state solution. We have people that are completely against the two-state solution. We have people who are very supportive of gay marriage. We have people who are against gay marriage. But none of that comes into play when working on issues with Christians to support Israel. That's a, that's a separate issue, and we're looking for allies around the world that can stand with us and defend us. And so whatever our personal viewpoints are, I think pales in, in, in comparison to the bigger picture. And, and I think Christians, to, to their you know, credit, have done a great job of saying, look, I love Israel because God loves Israel. And you can believe in what you want. I'm still going to love Israel. Thank you. What is the biggest threat to evangelical support for Israel? And how do we deal with that? Well, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of threats out there. I think, first of all, one of the biggest threats is that people take it for granted. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, we have the evangelicals already. So let's focus on this community. But we don't have the evangelicals already. We have a part of the evangelical community that stands with us. But of the 600 million, uh, I wouldn't say more than, you know, 10% even thinks about Israel. You know, they, they may learn about it in Bible class, but that's an abstract concept. I think we really need to focus on developing this relationship further. And I think we need to reach out to people that may have not come to Israel or been involved with Israel and explain how modern Israel is really the fulfillment of what they're reading in the Bible. A lot of people make a separation. They say, okay, biblical Israel is this, but modern Israel has no connection to that. And so there's all, the apathy, I think, is a big problem. The, the, the feeling that we have the supports, so we need to look in other places is a big problem. We need to develop this report, support. Also, I think one of the biggest problems that we're seeing in America is that the next generation of Christians are not so supportive of Israel because they're actually not Christians. What's happening is that, you know, for parents who go to church every Sunday— their children aren't going to church anymore. So if you don't go to church and don't read the Bible, you're not just going to stand with Israel because of osmosis. You're probably just going to go with whatever anyone else is saying, you know? And so I think one of the big problems we're seeing in America is that the next generation is becoming a lot less Christian. Whereas in places like Africa and Latin America and Asia, the next generation is more Christian than the, than the generation before. So I think the new relationships that we're going to see, the big advances in this relationship between Jews and Christians is going to be in Latin America, Africa, and Asia as we move forward. Wow. Uh, okay, that's true. And we have, I'm going to give you a couple of questions more. One is a yes or no question. Will your book be on book depository? Um. Well, I can't answer that question because I have no idea what that is. I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, familiar so much with the book industry. It took me a very long time to write this book. I don't plan to write another book. It was very hard for me. 
Um, I'm a pretty busy guy, so to sit down and do it. But uh, that's something that you can uh, write to Geffen Publishing. They would know they handle all that. They handle the back office. It's right now, I know it's on Amazon, and I hope people go and pre-order Titus Trump and the Triumph of Israel from Amazon. Um, uh, even if you, it takes a couple of weeks, I think it's worthwhile doing it. But if you live in Israel, you should just go to Geffen Publishing and get it from them. Um, I think it's an exciting book that people are going to enjoy, and I hope people you know, take the time to read it. So uh, the Book Depository is a website for selling books, and they do free delivery all around the world. And uh, Emmanuel thinks that it would benefit you to take a look into it and see if you could. Uh, ah, we had somebody do the do quick research. It's already there. Your book is already listed in the Book Depository. So that job has been taken care of. Great, great job, team. Um, I have one more question for you here. Well, there was a question that I, that I want to leave up to you if you're interested in answering it, um, which was what's uh, Kamala Harris position on Israel. But I'm going to let, let that one sit for the end in case you have time and want to answer it. The last really Christian uh, focused question is, do you think that Jews and Christians should move beyond a relationship based on political convenience and geopolitical calculations to one characterized by a genuine commitment to exploring religious and theological issues together. Look, I know that there are a lot of organizations that do interfaith and study the Bible, Jews and Christians together. I personally don't believe in that. Uh, I don't think that we're the same religion. I don't think that we should be, um, you know, spending time discussing what our beliefs are. Uh, because we have different beliefs, and I think that's okay. And, and I think that what we need to do is focus on what we have in common. And so, you know, it's not like we're working together because we have this biblical, um, political alliance that's only good for the political immediate future. Our, our values that are based in the Bible, in what we call the Tanakh, what they call the Old Testament, are, are what makes us people. And it's those, that focus, that focus on our prophets, on our prophecies, on, on God's word, that has brought us together for this time. So it isn't like an, a means to an end. This is a real strong relationship based on trust and mutual respect and the fact that we both love the God of Israel. And I think that's enough. I don't think we need to now learn the New Testament and they need to start learning the Talmud to, to understand that relationship better. I think we should just focus on what we agree on. And then when they move to the New Testament and we move to the Talmud, we should agree to disagree. Thank you. Do you want to take the Kamala Harris uh, question? Yeah, I, look, uh, I have to be honest. I don't know so much about Kamala Harris, uh, but there is reason for concern. And the reason I say that is that she voted against the BDS legislation in Congress. Uh, she was against it. She didn't believe that um, Congress needs to take a stance against the Boycott Divestment Sanction Act. Um, that she thought that um, it wasn't anti-Semitic. She has some uh, parts to her that is supportive uh, of parts of the BDS movement. That's very scary. Um, I, don't th I think that's a, a red line. I think that's something that everyone needs to be concerned about. Now, look, now she's on a national stage. Maybe she'll temper her opinion on that. You know, it's People have been more radical when they've had other jobs, and then when they got on the national stage, they tempered these things. So it could be that she said, okay, you know, that my base wanted that. And so I did it. And now I'm a national leader. So, but it, it does definitely cause um, reason for concern. People need to be wary of it. I need to be focused on, you know, how did she explain it? Okay, Josh, I think that this was a really tight 
informative conversation. Uh, I think you answered everyone's question. So thank you so much for getting to everyone's question. Um, we had some really nice feedback. Emmanuel said, I'm going to buy one of your books. You impress me with your knowledge and the action you're taking with your life. It's been amazing listening to you and thank you. So I think that that's a great vote of confidence there. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Emmanuel. Uh, so thanks so much for being with us. We don't, we are not going to disclose who our speaker for the next event is yet, but we wrote in the, in the chat publicly where you can find us. If anybody would like to easily put themselves in on our mailing list so that they can get email updates straight to their inbox about our next events, you can write your email right in the chat and I'll copy and paste it and make sure you get on our mailing list. Like I said, we do these events on Monday nights called the Sunset Series, where we have a 25-minute talk followed by a question and answer. I always ask people to bring their cocktails with them so that we could really feel the happy hour vibe that we're meant to have when we're in person. And thanks to everyone who joined. I think that it, everyone is walking away from this talk with something new to think about, which is another reason why I love the Sunset Series, because... It's not just a happy hour where people are talking about uh, what went wrong at work or what they, what they would like to eat off of the appetizers menu. We really talk about issues here. We really have intellectual discussions. So everyone, I, hope, I expect to see you back here next Monday. And uh, follow us on Tribe Tel Aviv on Facebook. You can follow me. I'm Shanna Jacqueline Fold. Rabbi Feldman has something. Yeah, I am. Um... Let's put on the chat that the audio of tonight's program will be available on the Jewish Matters podcast on Spotify and uh, Apple and Google starting around midday tomorrow. Yes. So Rabbi Feldman, I always get questions after for people who weren't able to come to the talk and they really wanted to hear what they missed. Rabbi Feldman will be uploading the audio to the Jewish Matters podcast. I run a morning podcast called the Israel Daily News Podcast, where I do a 10-minute news wrap in the morning, and I end each episode with a song from an up-and-coming artist that lives here in Israel. So if you know anyone who does music, um, send them my way, and if you're interested in getting caught up quickly on Israel News, you can listen to my podcast in the morning. Rabbi Feldman? I got really excited. I thought when you said the end of the song, you were going to sing a song at the end of it, so I was like... Not me. And I also <laughs> want to add that as part of the podcast on Wednesday night on Facebook Live, we do Extraordinary Jewish Personalities, and on Sunday evening is Jewish Spirituality. So you can find it, Yes, they're very good. I always learn something really intimate about one of the leaders that Rabbi Feldman speaks about on his show, so I, I highly recommend. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, John. Thanks for uh, having me. And uh, we look forward to seeing everyone uh, in the coming uh, Monday night. Laila Tov. Laila Tov.